Life gets in the way. I've been saying this the last few or couple of episodes. My passions and my purpose have somehow commingled with my career. And the one thing that I'm noticing, time is the sacrifice. The time that I had to dedicate to this podcast isn't what it used to be because more and more and more demands are being made of my time. And you guys have been very gracious in allowing me to continue to tell my story and continue to remain interested despite the gaps in the episodes. Before we begin, I want to give you a heads up that this episode was recorded off-site in Chicago, and it picks up right where the last episode left off. And I want to dedicate this episode to my father, who recently passed away. His name is Job Payne, like Job in the Bible. And uh, there were a series of unfortunate events that happened in a very short period of time that led to his physical decline and his ultimate transition into greatness. My dad, my hero, my first hero, my first superhero, and I mean that because I just had never seen anybody so capable and so strong. And I think based on what befell him, dementia and a bunch of other comorbidities, it seemed unbelievably cruel. But if I think about it, he fought. He fought until the very, I won't say end, I think he fought. The hospital folks said that he was a tough dude. They hadn't seen anything like that in a while. And I don't think that my dad lost any battle. I think he just stopped fighting. And fortunately, I was able to let him know that if he wanted to stop fighting, that I would be okay. And he took me at my word, literally minutes later. He was a man of people, a man of the earth and a man of service. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, he serves so many people. I know that's almost cliche at this point. However, he put people through med school, working as a healthcare educator at the University of Illinois College of Medicine, probably saying that wrong in Chicago, Illinois. He is responsible for putting into place programs that to date have produced 7,000 doctors and healthcare professionals that are black and Latino. And according to the university people that I've been speaking to since his passing, that number is the highest number outside of HBCU medical schools. He helped kids excel in ACT and SAT. He taught people how to garden. He built community gardens. And he taught your host everything he knows. Not literally everything, but he taught me how to be a student of life, a lifelong learner, and how to, how to be interested in something, acquire a skill, and then make that skill open doors for you. So I learned how to learn from my father. And I'm thankful for him. He was a good dude. And he's an even greater ancestor in spirit. So the legacy is real. His legacy used to be a shadow for me when I was little and felt some kind of way or didn't understand why everyone was making such a big deal about him. But as I got older... His legacy became my stepping stone, allowing me to know that I could be great in whatever passion. And it wasn't like he was pursuing greatness for himself. He was pursuing greatness for the good of others. And I'd like to think that I'm doing the same. At least that's one of my prime directives. There is sadness and there is sorrow. I have cried and cried and cried some more. But I'm at peace because he's at peace. I carry him with me everywhere, and I always have since I was a little boy. So oddly enough, 
I don't miss him. And this isn't some stage of grief. I don't miss him. I can't miss someone who's right there with me. And always has been. He's in all my thoughts. And always has been. Somehow my father managed to map himself into my thinking process. My thought process. The way I think. So he's always there. He probably didn't know he was doing it. But let me tell you. It was a pretty dope thing to do. So this episode is dedicated to him. He was born in 1933 during the Great Depression. And he passed away on March 22nd, 2022, at 88 years old. And leaves behind a legacy. Thousands of people have benefited. And if I have my way, will continue to benefit. So this episode was recorded off-site in Chicago, Illinois. While I was tending to him and my mom as we were navigating that period of time that has led to this period of time. So without further ado, I'd like to present the next episode of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree and getting cursed out, his second master's and getting kicked out, Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate and getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTech beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. Wait. I need to rewind a bit because unfortunately it's been a minute because it's been a minute. Life has been good busy, good busy, and some bad busy. Rewinding. Valentine's Day came and went, not because I was alone, but because I spent it with a friend. I wouldn't say either of us was lonely. We weren't lonely hearts, but we were definitely solo on that night. My married friend wanted to be wined and dined, romanced and danced, and I wasn't going to do that. She was married, and I was trying to, still playing this stupid game with myself where I was trying not to get attached. Or should I say I was trying not to get too, too attached, so every time I felt attached, I would pull back. So I went out with a friend, a random person, someone I know, someone who lives in my neighborhood, someone I'm cool with. I asked her if she wanted to grab pizza or something. She said she loved pizza. And although we were friends, we sort of, you know, treated each other as if we were on a date. We talked about everything and nothing at the same time. My nose was stopped up something crazy, but that didn't stop me from yapping. Because I'm a yapper. She lived in my area and taking her home was no big deal. You know, I paid for everything. We had a good time. She asked if I asked her if she wanted to do anything else. She said no. And interestingly enough, I think because we really didn't know what else to do, when I walked her to her door, we kissed It was a nice, long, deep kiss. She was a really good kisser. But there was really nothing to it. I think we just didn't know what to do with ourselves, given the night, given the time that we had. It didn't really blur our friendship at all. 
for mannish reasons, of course, I wanted to come in and finish the deal. But I can't really say that I had any real desire to truly, like, consummate a relationship with her. I think it was just because I was in the moment. And I think she was smart enough to know that she was in that moment, too, and was like, nah, I mean, maybe another time, but not today. Plus, my nose was stopped up and she wasn't going to put up with me snoring all night long. That next time never came. So that kiss was like that kiss that you have on a summer night with the girl who you're visiting while you're at your grandma's in the country and you're a city boy. And you go back to the city and you live your life and you move on and you grow up and you get big and maybe even have a wife and all the rest of that. And you always wonder about that country girl that you had that amazing, amazing kiss with. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. We ventured that far and didn't venture any further. I mean, it was the perfect first and last kiss. We've since hung out. We've since gone places. We never kissed again. We never talked about that moment again talked about the people we were seeing, talked about hopes and dreams and aspirations, but us, nothing. It was the perfect friends with benefits type of situation if you wanted a friends with benefits, but it never became beneficial like that. But I imagine that if that was the kind of perfect situation, unattached situation to be in, that would be it, where you do what you do, but don't talk at all. But we didn't talk about anything. It seemed like I was getting wiser and smarter, but still gullible. Which is why C-Sweet Lady was able to swoop into town that next month and tease me on a rainy night at my favorite Chinese restaurant that I stopped to going to cold turkey after that. Little did I know that a storm was coming and everything and everyone I encountered were the clouds brewing overhead. You know, those storm clouds that let you know that you should grab your umbrella or your raincoat even before you go out. But sometimes, you know, even the best of us can mistake a real storm as something passing. Because sometimes the others around us will convince us of otherwise. Sometimes you want to believe what you want to believe. Sometimes you don't see what's happening. And sometimes there's just people in front of you that are in the way. That, that, that cloud your judgment and don't allow you to know better for worse or worse for better. My father's illness was advancing. Amazingly, he had fully recovered physically from the second stroke he had suffered the year after I got divorced back in 2016. But his mind and his hearing were deteriorating. It looked like Alzheimer's, but my mother was insistent that it was something else. Him playing games, him refusing to listen, him being mean, him being obstinate. Couldn't remember anything from a bill he was responsible for to the password that opened his iPad but she thought it was all an act. She seemed consumed with his decline. When we spoke, it was all she would talk about. That and my youngest. She didn't ask too much about what was going on in my life, other than innocent questions about my ex-wife that she could have asked herself considering she had her number. And like my relationship with my ex's parents, I called them all the time just to say hello and shoot the breeze. They, told me, they would tell me that they love me and they miss me and, and, somehow that, and somehow that made me feel special because it seemed so genuine. They had no reason to love me, but they did anyway. And that made their love for me seem even more special. I get it when it comes to my mom, you know. My dad is her rock. They've been married for, they were married, have been married for 50-something years and 
now he's not really holding it down the way he used to hold it down. I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I was married to someone that long and they suddenly stopped being operable. Maybe I would think it was mischief. Maybe not. I don't know. But that was what my mom believed. And if I was having a really hard time convincing her otherwise and actually finding out what was going on, I was in another state and I couldn't make her do anything with him or make her do anything with herself. I began to question her own health in the idea that her face was looking a little gaunt. She was saying that she really wasn't liking to eat much of the food that she used to eat. It sounded like she may not be eating that much at all. But it was what it was. I trusted my mom and I really couldn't control her from two, two, three, four, five states away. Around the same time, an old friend popped up in my, in my DMs on Instagram. When I say old, I mean since before I was divorced and just after I got married. Had we ever met just once, I'm sure we would have hit it off instantly. But we hadn't even said a word to each other in person. Never even, uh, never even set eyes on each other. But somehow we knew each other. And it wasn't really a somehow. She was a friend of a friend that I used to work with back when I was young, undeterred and determined to make it big in New York City. She was actually his coworker too. She was his work husband. Because after he quit working, because after he quit working insurance where he was working with me, he began working with her. And back then I was a blogger talking about how being married with kids right out the gate made my life interesting. I was a man, a dad, and a husband. That was my tagline for my blog. My blog was makesmewantahollow.com. My tagline was man, dad, husband. My tagline was man, dad, husband. One time I had a pastor get up in my comments and say, or at least I imagine this is how he sounded when he said it. Young man, you are a husband first. Yes, you are a man, but you are a husband first. Them kids don't come before that, them, the, that wife of yours. You better claim your wife as your crown and put her first. But that's actually not how it happened. I was and remain a man. Then I became a dad twice. Then I got married. And then I started blogging about it. A lot. Almost one point. Almost one post a day, sometimes two, every day, until I looked up and had a thousand, uh, not even a thousand, eleven hundred posts. I was guest blogging too, and my guest blogs performed better than the blogs on my own daggone blog page. And I say blog page, not blog page, but like blog. You know, I'm I'm dating myself because back in the day, a blog wasn't even a blog; it was a web log, <sighs> diaries, just like podcasts have become what they are now. My friend's friend became an avid reader of my blog way back when. She was successful. She was a successful single mother. She was gainfully employed and happily booed up with her daughter's father until I guess they mutually decided to part ways. Then a moment that to this day I can't comprehend, she recognized me at a Maxwell concert standing extremely uncomfortable in the lobby of the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in a pair of tight and light gray jeans that my ex-wife bought for me. My friend... Now her co now then her coworker called me the day after the concert and asked if I had been there. Yes, I said nervously. Did I tell you? He said, "Nah." My friend saw you. Then he described what I was wearing and said I was seen looking very uncomfortable and that she saw everything I had because my pants were so tight. If you get what I'm saying. For whatever reason, I looked around the room and because whenever you find out someone has seen you somewhere, 
You look around, even though you're not even where you were. I checked my surroundings. I looked over my shoulder. I looked around. I'm like, what are you talking about? She saw me. My friend laughed. My friend, I mean, we laughed. Like, we laughed about it, um, about the pants and so on and so forth. Because, you know, men back then weren't wearing tight jeans. And we had a moment of brotherhood where we talked about how our wives do the most trying to make us look the way they want us to look. But I was spooked. How did your friend pick me or even know it was me in that big-ass crowd? I know I posted pics on the blog, but there were so many people there. Man, I don't know how she knew. But she came into work today saying, I saw your friend at the concert last night with his wife, and his junk was out there for everybody to see. I didn't wear those joints again until Jay-Z was rapping about his knots not fitting in skinny jeans. The whole world had changed by then, and more and more people were wearing skinny jeans by then. Crazy. Fast forward to the present and my friend's friend had reached out on Instagram. We had commented randomly on each other's posts in the past. And I even gave her some tips on what life was like in Atlanta as a single man, as a single period, as a family person. So she could make whatever decisions that she wanted to make. She was considering a move either in her daughter's senior year or after she graduated. But this time when she reached out, it was about my sinus surgery something I mentioned randomly in the caption of a post made on Instagram. And I guess I must have mentioned it randomly, either in a story or on an Instagram post. Her daughter, who was now in college, was scheduled for the a similar procedure. And she wanted to know how it went for me so she could figure out how it went for her. So as we messaged, she mentioned her mom had Alzheimer's, which piqued my interest since I was convinced that that's what my dad had, despite my mother's protests, despite my mother's denial or protesting that, you know, he was just acting. Our, Our messaging broke through the barrier of the digital space, and it built into a two hour conversation on the phone about my nose, her daughter, my father and her mother. She seemed to have a little bit of an A-type personality, which I was beginning to relinquish on my own because for me there was a imprisonment that comes with trying to control outcomes. And there was a freedom that I was beginning to experience as someone who no longer tried to control an outcome for my life as a result of surrender. And that surrender was a side effect of the discernment that I was experiencing from all the failed dates that I was going on looking back at my marriage and how I tried to control not getting divorced, there was freedom in not trying to force the outcome, but to just live in the moments and be guided by those moments. Not to mention all the failed nine to five jobs that I had and you know, just having to stare myself in the mirror and love me despite it all. But I had just met her. So who was I to judge her for being overly concerned about her daughter's well-being? She wasn't in insurance anymore and oddly moved over to therapy. And she seemed genuinely taken aback by my willingness to share my feelings as a man. 
how quickly I was to crack jokes based on things she was saying and how adept I seemed to be at calling out my own emotional health and well-being. And I was a psych major. I don't know if that matters. But the interesting thing is that many women want a man who can communicate until they meet a man who can communicate. We ended the call innocently enough. It was a nice conversation and I found myself wanting to talk to her again. I went on her Instagram and started checking out all her pictures, noticing things I hadn't paid attention to before, how full her lips were, the way she tanned a almost perfect bronze color in the sun. She had a great smile, etc., etc., etc. The usual thing you do when you start checking someone out on Instagram. Her voice sounded nice on the phone. Really nice. But once again, I didn't have any money. Even if I wanted to, what could I offer to what sounded like a woman who had her stuff together? Besides, she was in Jersey, and I was in Atlanta. Even if I wanted to, there was no way. Was there?